Well, Father Jonathan, we are back. We're back. We're back. Better than ever? Mm, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Just about the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Well, we are one week in, and now we're on the second week of Lent. How was your first week of Lent? It was okay. I So, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very busy academic work week. <laughs> Schedule. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, I'm in the studio painting all, all the time. So, and it's good in that sense, you know, like on Ash Wednesday, I can almost forget that I'm supposed to be fasting. I'm, I am fasting, obviously, but like, I'm just not thinking about it because I'm, you know, drawing all day long. <laughs> so yeah. in that sense, it was good. But I, but on, on another, on the other hand, it's like, oh, well, I'd actually didn't think about it all that often, which is not so good. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So now we begin the first full week. So you got time. You got that's time. Right. There's still time. That's, that's the beauty of it. it. There's still time. That's that's right. Lent is so great because it's like, you know what? If you mess it up in the first 10 days, guess what? <laughs> you have a whole month left. That's right. And can't really mess it up. Actually, you know, for what it's worth, it is a piece of spiritual advice that I offer people. And it's not very spiritual. It's just very practical. It's just to say like, you know, if you mess up, that's okay. Just keep on going. Like perfection is not the name of the game here. That's right. That's right. And people, you know, myself included, and I'm sure you struggle with this at times, like to think that, well, I've said I'm going to do something, so I have to do it and be all in all the time. And while we should all be all in all the time, that level, I think, is unsustainable, maybe even unattainable. You know, yeah, we need yeah. to realize that the and we've said this before on the show that the point of Lent is to grow closer to Jesus, <laughs> not That's to right. not to flex your spiritual muscles. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, speaking of muscles, I, I did I did end up actually preaching a little bit about uh, what we talked about on the show last week uh, on this first Sunday of Lent. I preached a little bit about being spiritual athletes. Um, but not in the sense that you were just talking about, you know, just sort of flexing for the sake of flexing, but actually growing in strength and spiritual strength through Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, I really took inspiration from that image of like the Spartan children going out into the wilderness, you know, at the beginning of their, of their life as soldiers, you know, to be tested in the wilderness as, as good inspiration for what Jesus is doing at the beginning of his public ministry, which is, you know, to be tested in the wilderness, uh, for the sake of strengthening for battle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of preached about that and how like we go into the desert, not to be deprived just for the sake of suffering, uh, but to be strengthened, not to rest on our own laurels or our own strength to like flex our own spiritual muscles, but to realize as all of the temptations, uh, hinge on, which I think you were big on this last week, every one of those temptations is about God's sovereignty, you mm-hmm. know? Um, they're all about God being the essential matter of my, of my life, you know, about putting my trust ultimately in God. And so the desert is the time of that spiritual training to learn to be fully dependent on God. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And it worked out well. I, um, I was a little bit, uh, sleep deprived this morning. And so I wasn't really aware of what I was exactly saying all the time, but I listened (laughs) back and it was pretty good. It was pretty good. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) I, I had a I had a wedding last night and the the dinner ran later than I thought and I had some other things to get done in the parish before I went to bed and so I woke up this morning for the earliest mass. Mm. It's one of the hardest things for me as of being a priest is having that early Sunday morning mass, yeah. especially when you have Saturday night ministry. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so yeah, so that first Sunday was good and I um I have a little bit of an update for you uh, from last week, a little bit of follow up uh, before we get jumped into second oh. Sunday. Oh. I did more. a little I did a little research. And every year at Lent, the first and second Sundays are the exact same, uh, not the exact same readings from the same gospel, but the exact same stories. 
Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. So the first the first one is always... It may be always the same. I don't remember exactly, but I, it's always the Temptations in the Desert for the first Sunday. And the second Sunday, which we have that we're talking about today, is always the Transfiguration. Hmm. And then depending on your, um, your cycle, cycle A moves through weeks three, four, and five with the scrutiny readings that are optional in years B and C. So that's Bartimaeus, Lazarus, and the woman at the well. Um, but then for years B and C, there's other readings for those three Sundays that are not the same. Um, but anyway, just just to go back to what we were talking about at the end of last week's episode about is there a thread we can pull through all of the readings? Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, these first two Sundays are the same every year. And that might be an interesting launching point. And that's kind of where I wanted to start, even my own commentary on these. I, I think as I was reading through these, one thing right out of the gate that I would probably want to focus on is like from from the lowest valley being in the desert to the highest mountain, like something something there may be f- like food for my reflection. Like how, how does that change in topography relate to the spiritual life, you know? And, and maybe there's something there for, for commentary. I'm not hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that some more though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything jump out at you immediately with the readings for the second Sunday? You know, uh, it did. I was really struck by um, these words from St. Paul that, uh, that it's kind of like hard to like hard to take, you know, because he's seeing so many people conduct themselves as he says as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their god is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Wow. It's like man, their minds are occupied with earthly things, and then he's yeah. he's ex- exhorting them to to recognize that the citizenship is in heaven. Uh, uh, and then we await the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and like, I'm always like, get kind of worked up when I when I get going about this. I'm always um, shocked and surprised when I read something in the scriptures that just seems so um, important for what's going on in the world. You know, we talked about last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, that I really don't like when the homily or the focus of the liturgy becomes current events. But like, here's a great example of how, if you just like pray and read the scriptures and trust in, you know, in the gospel, that all of those things can come in, um, can can come in and be a part of, um, of what, of what we're, of what we're supposed to be meditating on, you know, in the second Sunday. So it's like, man, there's, you know, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, we've been humbled in that sense. Like, we want to force it in at the wrong time when we should just be patient and wait for the right time, which it seems like is right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, focusing on earthly matter. Like, this, you're right. I think with when picking up what you're saying is that, like, a reading like today cues us to those temporary uh, current events, you know, that we could be talking about, of being occupied with earthly things, etc. Mm-hmm. We can very much insert here, you know, commentary on the affairs of the world, because mm-hmm. it's precisely yeah. what you know, uh, Paul is talking about with the Philippians and then like the pivot right afterwards, which is like our citizenship though is in heaven. Like, like turn your eyes away from, you know, the, the doom and gloom that surrounds us and realize that there is great hope, mm-hmm. you know, even yeah. though because, because everything that surrounds us seems to be falling apart and it's like, okay, wait, but, but we await, you know, a savior is what Paul is saying. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, so no, that's great. That's you know that's one sense that I got from you know, and is that going to find its way into a homily that I would write for the second Sunday? I don't know because I mean I feel like when you've got the transfiguration, you almost have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's right. That's right. And um, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Keep going with that. Thought, with that. Well, thought. so. I want to do something that I didn't do last week that I wish that I had, and we've done before, but not in a while. I called up the Roman Missal and looked at the prayers that we've got for the second Sunday of Lent. Yeah, uh, which has its own preface, I think. Exactly, include- exactly. Yes, and and that's exactly where, what I want to what I want to look at because the prayers that we've got for the for all liturgies, but especially for these special um, seasons, are really quite rich. And yes. this the the preface says, For after he had told the disciples of his coming death, on the holy mountain he manifested to them his glory, to show even by the testimony of the law and the prophets that the passion leads to the glory of the resurrection. Wow. And it's like, f- first of all, there's a lot going on there. I mean, obviously. But like, what I find really fascinating is that it begins with something that we don't hear about in in our in our gospel for after he had told his disciples the coming of his death so in a sense there is this presumption that people will just know you know the the kind of the um the flow the, 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 the flow well the flow of the narrative of of the gospels like oh yeah well yeah. duh before the transfigure like i you know if you if i was quizzed on it i probably wouldn't get that right um which is beauty beautiful that it's in the prayers and so you can be reminded of it yeah. in that sense um, but That's also, right. it That's kind right. of frees it, in my estimation at least, it frees us up to bring in those, you know, what does the surrounding verses have to do with what we're reading about here in the Transfiguration? You know, it's not just about Jesus showing that he can do magic tricks. No, it's about showing uh, that that we are rooted in the prophets, in the law, and that all of this is leading to that glory of the resurrection, that all of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that we're dealing with, that we're focusing right now explicitly in Lent, uh, mm-hmm. leads to the glory of the resurrection. Like there's there's a, yeah. that hope that you were talking about earlier um, that we have to always keep in mind. Right, right. No, that's good. And I think hope is becoming a theme that I'm noticing. So the second reading with awaiting a savior, you know, the hope in salvation that comes in the resurrection, predicting the glory that will come in the resurrection in the transfiguration, but also like in the first reading, you know, the great hope of the promised land. So mm-hmm. in the Psalm as well, like the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's a very hopeful tone, which is great because that's very untypical Lenten themes. Like we don't typically think of hope within Lent. I think many of us just think of, I don't know, misery or, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever, whatever it may be, you know, instead we usually equate hope with Advent but there's a great theme here that you're pointing out. And I think that might be part of the, the wisdom of, of pairing the, the desolation of the desert or the temptation of the trial of the desert with the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. And there's almost like the aridity of death in the first Sunday, um, the dryness, the, the battle, the spiritual struggle, the temptation, and now the glory of the fulfillment of the prophets and the law in, in, the, in Christ and in the resurrection. So I just wonder if there's an interesting contrast there where we have like one Sunday to the next, maybe the same move from like a Good Friday to an Easter Sunday, just sort of like prefigured maybe um, in these two Sundays, you know, one moving from like, okay, strip away, strip away the garment, you know, strip away the garment and 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 the suffering that comes with temptation and then the next week which is today is you know the great hope of fulfillment and the glory of his divinity you know um 
So there might be something there. It's like we're almost like prefiguring or pre-electing what's coming uh, a little later uh, in the the Paschal Triduum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that too. But uh, one thing I wonder um, is you pointed out the the promise of the promised land, the promise of the promised land. (laughs) But we've also got that very first part, right? The promise to Abraham that you will be the father of all nations. Yeah. Uh, How does that, does that, maybe it's not so much the content of the promise, but the fact that God is promising these kind of uh, spectacular things because his wife is barren. <laughs> right. You're saying relating that back to the, to the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and that, and that, that chastisement that St. Paul gives us is, hmm. is your God in your stomach or in your own loins? Uh, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, is the, totally. You know, the glory and your shame that you can't have children. Or do you trust in the the miraculousness of of the Lord? Right, and you know, in the first reading, it's Abram put his faith in the Lord. Mm-hmm. He put his trust in the Lord, and yeah, and with that comes this tremendous promise of of new life. You know, and instead of trusting in his own strength, trusting in his own uh, virility as a man, or in the fertility of his spouse, you know, he puts his faith in the Lord. And it it kind of goes back to that uh, that issue that we were discussing last week that did that did make its way into my homily, which is uh, the, what you were harping on a little bit about you know our insistence on our own will being sufficient for you know achieving greatness mm-hmm. in the spiritual life. And it's like, well, here you don't put your trust in princes, you don't put your trust in great men or in your own virility, Abram, but you put your trust in the Lord. So like during Lent, to just bring it back down to the concrete season, it's like. How many of us have decided to do things without consulting a spiritual director or consulting even God in prayer? Mm-hmm. We just sort of think like by the by my own strength, I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and fix all of my problems by giving up sweets, you know? <laughs> um, and I, like you were saying before, that's not a problem. It's just a, a, an interesting question to tack it on to this. It's like, is God my strength or am mm-hmm. I being my own strength? You know, am I demanding that bread be turned into that rocks be turned into bread by my own authority? Or is it God who I put my trust in? Um yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, and even like what we were saying at the beginning of like, okay, well, if you screw it up right now, the, it's okay, you know, there's still time. We've got a lot of Lent left. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, but like, you know, we, we're so conditioned in today's world and in today's society to um, expect immediate gratification, to expect immediate results. Yeah. And in this sense, it seems to be part of that hope, perhaps, is trusting that, you know, things might not look that great right now. And in fact, Mm. they don't, (laughs) you know. Um, But this isn't the end of the story. We're not even close to the end of the story. Right, Um, right. And so do you have faith? Do you have trust? Not only that the Lord, hmm, what am I trying to say? That the Lord will bring uh, fulfillment. Do we trust? I'm kind of losing it there. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a big question there, I think, that um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've got to, tr- oh, here we go, that not only will it work itself out in the end, but will God be with us the whole way through, even in our yeah. darkness? Yeah, absolutely. You know, actually, that's a really good uh, pivot point and segue to one of the things that I, I had originally thought of uh, commenting on when I first read these readings. Um, and it's it's that both the first reading and the second reading have both of the men falling asleep. Um, and you have Abram going into a deep trance, uh, a deep trance fell on him and a deep terrifying darkness enveloped him. The same thing happens with Peter that he goes into, uh, what does it say? 
it says Peter and his companions became overwhelmed, overcome by sleep. Mm. And I, I was just kind of struck by that because the darkness envelops both of them. Uh, and even though that darkness envelops them, that they are surrounded by God's favor. But that favor is glorious, but they are also in deep sleep. Now, the, re- the reason that I find that striking is because of the allusions to the creation of Eve, mm-hmm. uh, which is that Adam is put into a deep sleep precisely so that God can work good in him. Uh, and that God's primacy in the primacy of grace in him working in Adam, you know, ring brings out new life. And the same thing could be said about Abram is that putting our trust in God is sufficient for him doing work in us, uh, almost without us, like doing work in us and putting us into that deep darkness. Uh, the same thing with Peter, you know, that God can do good in, in calling him to be, uh, the rock, which I think also happens in Mark's gospel immediately before this. Um, and in other words, I think there's something important there about the darkness and the sleep. But the last piece of that is that the ultimate darkness is death, which is what's being you know foreshadowed in that preface, which is the the scandal of the cross. And that when Jesus goes to sleep and the church is born of his side, well, the greatest work that God can do is happening through that sleep. And if we're not preparing for that sleep for ourselves, uh, and we're just trying to stay awake by our own merit and our own strength, then what are we doing this Lent? This Lent should be a really good time for us to prepare for death. You know, mm-hmm. there could be like a memento mori thing happening here a little bit too. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. The uh, One of the things that also struck me, stood out to me in the second reading that I think may connect to this is this this these lines, he will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that he enables himself. Him also yes. to bring all things into subjugation to himself. You know, I, f- I feel like we can sometimes look at that and say, well, I'm just waiting for that to happen in a sense. Mm-hmm. Or, or, well, I can't do anything now because I've still just got this lowly body. You know, I'm waiting to be right. glorified, you know, as if that will happen in this world. <laughs> you know, or, which, and, which is also to say, well, I can't do anything in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was... Um, kind of talking about this a little bit last week with Moses and Abraham as well. Like, these are not men, our scriptures are not full of men and women that chose to just wait until they had a glorified body. Our scriptures are Mm. full of men and women who chose, who were inspired, who were moved by the Holy Spirit to act. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that does yeah. that uh, does that help at all, or does that is that a, a tangent? Well, I, I I well, it's it's. I think it does work in that it brings the second reading into this dynamic of he will change and mm-hmm. he will conform our lowly bodies with his glorified body. So that hope that's there still, but the way that that happens happens through the death, right? But it happens by his grace. Yeah. And so the lowly body has to move through death to be glorified. You know, and so you can't have the glory of the transfiguration without the scandal of the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely what that preface was saying. And so that's right. it, it's not bittersweet. It's just real. It's that <laughs> there is there is no there is no glory without, you know, Good Friday. Um, and so there's a beautiful invitation there in Paul that like, look, you, you've, you rest on your laurels of the goods of the earth, but realize that all of this, too, will pass away. And if you really want to be experiencing glory, then you have to go through the scandal of the cross. And that's the language that 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 leads to martyrdom when you're speaking to tyrants, you know, when you're speaking about earthly glory versus eternal glory. So I think that like signaling that letter from the Philippians with that line, I think is important because the deep sleep of Abram or Adam or Peter or ultimately Jesus on the cross is the one that leads to transfiguration. Is it lead, It's a deep sleep that leads down a path of of glory, 
you know, uh, ultimately. I don't know. Something there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I had something for a final thought, but it's evaded me at this point. I've forgotten it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my final thought, what was it going to be? I think my final thought may have been just a simple recognition that we could pray with this uh, set of readings between light and darkness. Like there's mm-hmm. uh, there's the darkness that envelops, but also the light of salvation in the psalm and the light of glory in the transfiguration. So if oh, for anything else, like I remember that could was. be a good thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you mentioned like re- reality, like real life. You know, it's fascinating that we as religious people are often accused of living in a, some sort of fantasy world. Yeah. But like right. what we're talking about is, no, the world is kind of a dark place sometimes, you know, bad things yeah. happen. Uh, and our job is to not to not live in that fantasy world that we're being accused of, but to say, no, like, it's okay to suffer. It's okay to be hurt. That's right. That's um, right it's not okay to despair. And that's, you know, that's the job of the community. That's the job of, you know, that's what this cross was for so that we might have hope in that suffering, which is the realest thing that you could even think about. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. The really real, like that's the really real. Yeah. Um, well, good, good. All right, man. Till next time. All right, pal.